Welcome in to another episode of the Friday Show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at DMelt57. And of course, our very own Eric from Chicago, Eric Eggenheimer, is with me again as well. Uh, we're back to our regularly scheduled offseason programming following the breaking news that came up earlier in the week. And if you want to listen to the, our discussion about that, scroll a little bit down wherever it is you're finding this podcast. And we had a little chat on the death of Blackhawks owner and chairman Rob. Rocky Wirtz on Tuesday night. Um, but getting back to this episode, our guest this week, he's about as perfect as can be to a Venn diagram, 100% overlap of our interests on this podcast. Uh, it's Russ Rankin, who most people will probably know him as the longtime lead singer of the punk rock band Good Riddance. But what you may or may not know about him is he's also a hockey scout for the Tri-City Americans in the Western Hockey League. And he's been doing that scouting thing for several years now uh, in conjunction with his music career. Uh, the conversation we had with Russ kind of went back and forth between hockey and music and back to hockey and back to music. And we also talked a lot about his fandom as a, a New Jersey Devils fan and how he became good friends with one of the top players in that franchise's history. Uh, just a really interesting, uh, wide-ranging conversation, and it, it was a lot of fun, so I'm not going to make you wait anymore. Thank you to Russ for taking the time out to talk with us. Thanks to you for listening. We've got plenty more episodes on the way for the rest of the summer, but for now, let's get to our conversation with Russ. Russ Rankin is with us here on today's Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Russ, thanks for taking the time out to join us. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Good. So I, I th we uh, the main things we want to talk to you. Well, I guess it's two things. It's music and it's hockey because I feel like you are the perfect overlap of uh, mine and Eric's interest and in kind of the general theme of the site at times with the uh, punk rock and hockey together. And so I, I guess, but with those two, seems like those being two of the biggest things in your life. Which one came first? I'd have to say hockey. Like I, I was first, I mean, this is going to date me, but my first introduction to hockey was that was the 1980 winter Olympics. Okay. You know, really, really small, I'm <clears throat> really small kid watching those with my parents and I'd never seen ice hockey before. And I, I, I remember being just struck with the, the speed and the color and the violence. And, you know, I, I was pretty young, but I, I already was like, this is, this is amazing. But then it was pretty spotty after that. And then, and then, you know, a few years later, I got into punk rock, probably like eight, 1983. So hockey was the first thing. But, um, yeah. Did you, growing up, I, did you know anybody? Was there any type of hockey team, like, at your high school in your area? You grew up in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah. Uh, which, for anybody who doesn't know, that's what, like, an hour and a half south of San Francisco? Yeah. Would you consider that central California or Northern California? Northern California. Northern California. Did you have, did your high school like have a hockey team? Did you know any kids that played hockey when you were growing up? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I know now, obviously, you know, that with the sharks being there, that kind of changed everything and there's yep. lots of good yep. Northern California hockey players. But so when was the first time you actually saw like hockey in person in real life, like right in front of you, I think I think probably some at some point in the late '80s or early '90s, I think that there was some there was some buzz starting to gather about bringing a team to the Bay Area. There had been a team, you know, in the '60s and '70s, and and it was a it was a train wreck, and nobody went. And so <laughs> uh, everybody thought, well, it's why would it work this time? But there was there was some groundswell about the NHL expanding and bringing a team to the Bay Area specifically San Jose and they had I think to that end there was a couple of like um preseason games up at the the arena where the Golden State Warriors used to play in Oakland and I went up to there to that place to see the the Pittsburgh Penguins and somebody else I don't remember it was quite a long time ago that was the first like live hockey I ever saw 
Was there something in particular that that changed the that that got hockey on people's radars out there? Like, because for me, being a kid who grew up uh, predominantly in the '90s, like I feel like the Mighty Ducks movies were a big thing. That after those movies came out, it seemed like every kid in our neighborhood got rollerblades and a hockey stick, and we played street hockey. Was there something similar like that in Santa and in or around Santa Cruz? No, and and probably still isn't. Like Santa Cruz is like like I said, it's a it's a small beach town, but okay. it's it's twenty to thirty minutes away from San from downtown San Jose, just over the San Jose's in the valley, just like over the mountain. So San Jose, there was there was two hockey, there was two ice rinks in San Jose that had been there since I was a kid, and I think that maybe the Mighty Ducks movie might have something to do with it. Uh, I know that. California generally had a huge uptick in interest in hockey when Gretzky was traded to the Kings in, right. in 1988. Suddenly there's tons more rinks. Suddenly like younger athletic kids that, that might've been playing baseball or football are like, Hey, I want to play this. That's cooler. Uh, so that, that, that had already kind of happened and was gestating up here. Not so much, but I think the interest was there. And when, when the, the league expanded and to the to include the San Jose Sharks, like the, the fan response was was immediate and it was overwhelming. And so it was a once the Sharks actually were playing here, things really started to take off. At least like they probably had been in Southern California for quite a while, but up here closer to me, that's when things really started taking off. Uh as at what point did it seemed like music kind of took over your life at some point. Well, I shouldn't say maybe it did take over your life. I guess I'll let you answer that. But it seemed like music became a significant part of your life as well. When did that become how you said it was a few after a few years after you discovered hockey, that music came in and did it become like the primary part of your life? I mean, for the most of the eighties, I, I was just, I was just a, a kid that surfed and skateboarded and listened to punk rock. Uh, early nineties, I, I got a band going and, and we were, we were hustling and working hard. And then around 1994, it, it paid off and we, we started communicating with fat records and, and, all, and then in a pretty, pretty quickly, we all had to quit our jobs and, and just do that. And that was, um, you know, pretty, pretty crazy time. Uh, we suddenly had all these tours lining up and, all these opportunities that we didn't have before. And so we became like a full, a full-time band. Um, and, I, but I, you know, I had become a devil's fan in 1988. So I still, I still watched whenever I could, I still kept track of what was going on uh, with the devil specifically, but just NHL in general. And so, you know, any, any chance that I got to watch games on television, which was usually ESPN was putting games on back then. Uh, I would I would do that, and then if and then when the Sharks came, the first two seasons were were basically in San Francisco. Like they're pretty far. They played this this at this really old barn called the Cow Palace, and mm-hmm. yes, my mom and I went to a few of those games, like a several games each each of the first two seasons. But then the third season, they they began in their in their their own arena in downtown San Jose, and we had season tickets since then. So I was so- going to going to quite a few games. So this is one thing I've I've always been curious about with people who are in band, musicians who are in bands that when you're a, a touring artist, like it seems like watching, like, you know, the majority of your shows are probably at night. So it's probably hard to watch hockey games because yep. you're w- literally working during the games. But yep. was there ever any, did you ever get any like um, any sort of scheduling course where like, well, you know, the devils are going to be playing uh, the Devils are going to be playing in Chicago. Maybe we can call up Bottom Lounge and play the night before in Chicago somewhere, and then the next night we'll go watch the Devils in the United Center or whatever. Has any did anything like that ever happen fortuitously for you? Yeah, I've been able to watch some games uh, around around touring. I mean, my band would never, my band would never uh, do anything just for me to watch a hockey game. Like they don't, okay. they they could give a fuck. But right. uh, I, I've been able to do it. Like I, we, we were recording our album uh, "Symptoms of a Leveling Spirit" in Colorado, and I was really lucky. 
I'm still lucky. Like I have a, I have a good, a good friend who played in the, in the NHL for a long time and he was playing for the devils and he got us tickets. They were playing, they were in, in Denver playing the avalanche. And so he got us tickets. And so we basically wrapped early one night at the studio and my whole band drove down to go watch that game. So that, that was really cool. Uh, I've been, we were playing in a river de loop Quebec one night and I w I was, across the parking across the parking lot from the club there was an arena and all these cars in the parking lot and i was like oh maybe there's a game on i didn't know what league or anything and so i walked over there paid got it went inside and then the first face off it was just a line brawl second face off line <laughs> brawl and i thought and i realized i realized what league i was watching and people were going crazy but i was like this is just stupid this isn't even hockey like what is going on and uh just things like that uh been able to go to a bunch of junior games uh Seattle Thunderbirds a lot when we used to play Seattle. I, I would basically okay. go to the go to the game and then, you know, knew knew that we were playing last and so, kind of leave halfway through the second period or maybe second to second intermission, go back to the club, um, or Portland same thing, uh, Vancouver the same thing with the Giants, and I actually did go to a Blackhawks game. Uh, one one time, pre pre like it was like the. Kyle Calder, Eric Daze. There you go. And, and so it was, it was sit wherever you want kind of thing. Uh -huh. and, um, but it was a really cool building. I had fun going to that game. But, you know, just have a, you few, been a, able... few, a few years after that, you couldn't get tickets to the Blackhawks. Right. No, that's the solid streak began. Yeah. yeah. Have you been able to convert any of your band members at all? Have you gotten them? Do they come with you sometimes or is it kind of just a solo thing for you? My bass players into it. Uh, he married a girl from Montreal. So he became a Habs fan just kind of by, by default, he married into it. So yeah. there's, they both follow Habs social media. They watch all the Habs games when they can. They go to when the, when the Habs come that one time a year to San Jose, they, they come and they're all the Habs gear. So he's, he's into it. He, he gets it. Like he watches, he watches games. Um, I don't think he's as nuts about it as I am, but uh, he, he, he kind of has to, he married into the Habs thing. So he's in. So we, we so you, talked, uh, sorry, Eric, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Dave. So like you've talked to, uh, you talked a lot about your, your music background and that was kind of the, you, the first job you had. You mentioned you guys, when good riddance started touring, you had to quit all your other jobs so you could take the band on tour. When did, uh, the other reason we wanted to talk to you though, is because you are a hockey scout and I, it seems like those are, uh, Two two different worlds that don't always overlap much, especially in the in the punk rock genre. So, how did the hockey scout world come about? Well, for years, I I became you know quickly infatuated with hockey and and studied it and and would watch every game I could and and I had you know my friends would always be like, man, you you should just get a job in hockey. Like you can't stop talking about it and. And so I, I thought about it and I'm like, well, I'm not good enough of a player to ever, to ever do that professionally, but maybe I could, uh, maybe I could work in hockey another way. And I took an online course, probably like 2006, maybe sports management worldwide had an online course. It was eight weeks for scouting and it was really interesting. And when I was done with it, I, I had contacted my friend you know, that played in the league. And I'm like, well, what, what should I do now? Like, what would you do if you were me? And, and it was really fortuitous because at that time, kind of mid, mid late two thousands, California players were starting to trickle their way up to the Western hockey league just a little bit, um, you know, which is Western hockey leagues, primarily like Western Canadian players only, mm -hmm. but there was a few, like maybe an Arizona kid here or there, California kids, Colorado. It was just starting. And my friend was part owner of a team in the Western Hockey League, the Kootenai Ice. And so he's like, well, let me talk to my GM and, and we'll see. And then the GM called me. And what it, the advantage for them was they had a set of eyes in California. They could go watch these players and they didn't, have, they didn't have to pay to send anybody down. And the advantage for me was getting my foot in the door in a pretty prestigious uh, league. And so it worked out, and I, I started scouting California for the Kootenai Ice in 2007. So I would basically go travel to Southern California a lot or over here to San Jose and just watch the, the Bantam AAA teams 
because the Western Hockey League draft is Bantam Bantam draft. Uh, so you'd watch Bantams for that year's draft, and then also watch maybe some some minor or major midget. Just look to look for anybody who maybe grew, grew late or slipped through the cracks so that you could add to your list. Also, uh, I just started going to the rinks uh, all the time or all around California. So you mentioned a couple of times uh, the, the player that you're friends with. It's referenced in the article on The Athletic. Do you mind if we talk about who it is? No, that's okay. No, so I mean, it's it's Scott Niedermeyer, who most of us are familiar with as being a <laughs> fantastic defenseman. Pretty and then good. that was also the comp. That was, was pretty, pretty good. good. That was the yeah. 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 That that was the comp we heard for years, at least, you know, around here for Duncan Keith was, you know, everybody kind of compared him to Niedermeyer and Duncan Keith is at his own pretty good in, career. In too. Duncan, in Duncan um, Keith's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, how how did you come to um kind of become friends with Scott Niedermeyer in the first place? Well, I was, uh, so back before the internet and everything, like we used to get, we had a PO box and we would get fan mail, like people, fans of our band would actually write physical letters and send them to us. And, and I guess it, 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 it would, it had got out that I was a devil's fan and somebody wrote us from New Jersey and they went, they had gone to one of these, like meet the, meet the devils at the, at the mall where like devil's players that are signing stuff. And Brian Ralston was there and the the person who had written us told me in the letter that they were wearing a down by law shirt and that Brian Ralston was like, Oh, down by law. I like that band. And the, and so the person who wrote me said, Hey, you should send Brian Ralston some of your stuff. So I had fat records send like t-shirts, CDs, all this stuff to, to, to Brian Ralston care of the devils. So what happened was I think at the time he and Scott were living together and they both watched a lot of snowboarding videos, which is probably where they heard this music. And Brian Ralston never, I never heard from him, but, but I got a letter back from, from Scott Niedermeyer. And then I, shortly after that, I got a signed Jersey in the mail and we just, you know, exchanged phone numbers and began, you know, keeping in touch. We're still in touch today. And he's, he was just so gracious always about tickets. And, you know, a few times him and his wife would come to see us play and uh, I, I would get them in free. But I think that, our tickets probably cost a lot less than NHL tickets, but um, <laughs> no, he's, he's been great. He's been a good, uh, a good resource for me, like trying to figure things out as far as the scouting stuff goes. Uh, he's a good, really good person, obviously to bounce things off of because he's played at the highest level and, and uh, is now involved in player development and, and working in the front office. So he's, he's a great resource for hockey. He's just, and he's just an all around good guy. Like he's just a really good guy. So I uh, like was rereading that article at the Athletic that talked about uh, you and, and the your relationship with Scott Niedermeyer was a big part of it. And I, Eric and I have talked about this a lot because we're both big punk rock music fans. Um, and trying to figure out like if there's any other current or former hockey players who or I should say specified NHL players who are also punk rock fans. Like uh, the only name I could ever come up with is Andrew Ferentz. Do you know of any other guys who are in now or were in the NHL who were also big punk rock fans? And if you yeah. happen to know a few former Blackhawks, that would be wonderful. Jose Theodore was a, was a big fan. Okay. Uh, he, he would come to our shows in Montreal. Uh, Andrew Ferentz I've met in Edmonton. Uh, there was a a kid named Boyd Devereaux who played for the Oilers. I remember for a long time. him. Yeah. yeah, Boyd was Boyd was a big Good Riddance fan. One time we were playing in Phoenix, and he just we we happened to call each other, and I'm like, he's like, "What are you up to?" I'm like, "Oh, we're playing in Phoenix." He's like, "Hey, I'm in Phoenix." He was down there doing some like strength training, so he he popped out to the show. It was really funny. He's wearing a suit with a Good Riddance hat uh, <laughs> at the at the show. Boyd was great. Um, I think. I think that's pretty much it. It's just as far as people that we know in our, in our orbit who have like mm. come to see us play or and stuff like that. Cause there's, I mean, there's a, a famous, well, maybe infamous story in Blackhawks lore from it was like 13 or 14. Nick Corey Crawford went to a rise. It was spotted at a rise against show. And then the next day he showed up 
in the Blackhawks locker room wearing a boot. And I think there were, I don't know if it was ever officially confirmed anywhere, but the story is that he fell down a flight of stairs and busted his ankle and missed like a month or two, right in the middle of the season, right when the Hawks were in their, uh, in their heyday. And that's the closest thing we have to somebody who on the Blackhawks in the last 20 years, who might be into punk rock is Corey Crawford at a rise again show. And I know, I believe uh, Nicholas Chalmerson was also friendly with Tim McElrath, their lead singer. And I know it's a band you've, uh, you've interacted with and, and did, uh, I believe it was backing vocals on a song for them. So that's the only stories we have for, uh, Blackhawks related ones. I've never heard of any, I haven't never heard of any, uh, Blackhawks, yeah, I never interacted with any 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 of those players. I know that one time we played in Montreal, and and Joseph Theodore came early to sound check, and he played one of our songs on guitar at that sh- at that show, and then he handed the guitar back to Luke and did a stage dive. And this was like 2002, like his his heart trophy year. And I thought, man, if anybody from the Habs saw him do a stage dive, they would probably have a heart attack. I he, he he was okay. I've never liked Jose Theodore more than I have right now in this moment. That's yeah. that's a, that's a great yeah. yeah. Middle of his heart trophy season, he's doing yeah. stage dives. Good for yeah. him. So then, what about the reverse? I mean, do you have people that maybe you don't know bands you aren't familiar with, kind of in the punk community, who, as you're known more and more as kind of like a hockey guy who's in the community, do you have people coming up to you and talking to you about hockey a lot more than maybe you wouldn't expect in certain scenarios? I mean, in Canada, it's it's been that way ever since we started playing there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't... Like, for an example, we just played a couple festivals in Quebec last month, and from the time I showed up to the festival grounds, like, all the guys that were working the festival, at least every single one of them came up to talk to me about hockey at least once. And that's that's just kind of how it goes in Canada. I, but I'm, I love it. I'm here for it. I mean, I'll, I'll talk hockey all day. I don't care. Other places, not so much. Yeah. What about other bands? Like, do you bands you've met for the first time or anything like that? Maybe somebody's opening for you that you haven't played with before, and you gotta hit it off about that, or not so much. Pretty, pretty rarely. There's there's a few people that we interact with or see out on the road that who I know are you know like we know each other are hockey fans, so we'll we'll like go have a hockey talk, but mostly it's just it's just random people at clubs or, or people at shows. So kind of in the, in the vein of all the hockey talk, I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of scouting in general in any sport, especially when you're scouting um, teenagers and, and, and pre-professional players and trying to figure out how their skills are going to translate to the professional level. And I, like, I feel like I've watched a good amount of hockey in my life, but I also, if I'm watching like a high school game or even some of the junior Knights or sharks, the games that you've referenced, I, I don't think I would have any idea how to look at a player and decide this kid has the ability to potentially be an NHL player one day. So is there something that you've learned either through the classes you've taken or just from the repetition of all the hockey that you've watched that kind of helps uh, kind of explains the science to people who may not may not be familiar with that science at all? Yeah, there's a few things. And and also like my, my job isn't to see if they're going to play in the NHL. That's that's someone else's job. My job okay. is just I work for the Western Hockey League, which is major junior. So mm. I'm trying to project I'm trying to project a, a bantam-aged kid who's 14 turning 15 and what what are they going to be when they're 17 or 18? And that that's okay. about as far as I got to go. Uh so it's a it's not quite the biggest the bigger leap. Um but yeah, you're you're basically looking for things specifically looking for things that can't be taught or, or honed. So, so, you know, compete, um, just general athleticism and hockey sense. Cause if, a, if a, if a player is, is good, but their skating's kind of, kind of railer, then you can, you know, that that can be worked on, especially with the with the coaches that are in the Western hockey league and the amount of time on ice, like the, those things can be fine tuned. If a kid already skates great, that's even better. But that's not really a, a deal breaker for me. A deal breaker for me is is bad body language, selfishness, um, or or people that don't have a, don't don't have an elite hockey sense. There's a lot of there's like a lot of you're looking at, you're looking at a lot of kids that play hockey, and you want to find 
hockey players, not just people that play hockey. When you say hockey sense, is that like an idea of like putting yourselves in the right positions and, uh, you know, making the pass on the two on one when it's there, or is there something more, even more nuanced than that? It's just, it's general awareness, like a sixth sense of, of like spatial awareness. It's, it's offensive for sure, but also defensive. Um, does the player know where they're supposed to be in their own zone? Do they know how to, do they know how to read a rush? Do they know who they're supposed to be checking? Uh, on a face-off, do they know where they're supposed to go? Just little things like that. Being being where the puck's going to be instead of where it is. Um, I mean, there's a million cliches about it. <laughs> but it's it's something that you generally, like, by the end of If I go to see a game and it's two teams, like, let's say I'm going to go in September to to watch the 09s. The very first game I go to, I have, I have it's, it's all baseline. I've never seen anybody, any of these players before. And by the end of that first game, I'll probably have three three players that I that I think could play in our league, maybe two or three, okay. you know. And then it just goes from there. And then and then it's fine tuning that those with reports. And then it's also a big part of my job is 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 talking to the families and trying to present the Western Hockey League as a as a viable path for them. Uh, it's a really tough. It's really really tough. Uh, down here. So you, we had talked before a little bit about, you know, there's a big kind of youth boom with hockey. Uh, When Gretzky came to the Kings, what do you feel like is the state kind of, of of California hockey now? Do you feel like it's pretty healthy when, and maybe this might be too soon to ask, but when you see a kid like Zegris come in and kind of, be you know this early superstar that's kind of coming in southern california in a market that doesn't maybe hasn't really had a huge hockey superstar since gretzky is that something do you feel like you see the effects of that a little bit or because your kids are a little bit older that you're scouting is that a couple years away to where you might see the impact of a player like that i think i think there's probably two ways to answer that like you're right in that the like kids trying to trying to emulate that type of play, uh, it goes on already, but it's probably going to get get worse with uh, with Zegris. Well, you know I, he's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but like I, he, there's he's so many holes in his game. Um, but he's he's flashy and he's and he's cocky and he's confident, and that's a, that's appealing. It's it's entertaining, and he's got tons of skill. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of times the, the tendency for a younger player, and I would probably, if I was in their shoes, I would do the same is to, is to try to emulate the, the flashier play. And so you've not, got bantam uh, kids doing the Michigan, huh? They try. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they do, they do all that stuff. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm an American and I, I love USA hockey, but it's, it's, the trickle down is that like everybody thinks they're Cole Caulfield or Jack Hughes or Trevor Zegers. And, um, and I would rather have them balance that out with, with, with trying to be like more of a two way 200 foot player. Like in the end, at the end of the day, that's, what's going to get guys paid as pros uh, because you only, you only have the, have the puck a couple minutes a game. And so what, what, and you're, most of the time you're playing, you don't have the puck. And if if you're not doing anything of value when you don't have the puck, then you're not gonna you're not gonna have a job. So, uh, but it's it's cool. Like I think it's the cool thing about players like Zegers is it it brings attention to the game and it makes it and it makes it entertaining for people and it makes it something to watch. And so I'm all I'm all for that. Um, and and he's he's got a good staff down there, and so I th- I'm sure that the other parts of his game are going to get worked on. Cause he's already got, he's already got the hands, he's already got the creativity and he's already got the confidence, uh, which is, those are the great. And so he's, he just needs to round out his game and then he's going to be an even better player than he is right now. I think. So I feel like, uh, just because you've mentioned the WHL a few times and, and, uh, we are, I think almost contractually obligated at this point that did you see Connor Bedard at any point in your scouting days? No, because I, I don't watch the I don't watch the Western Hockey League. I mean, I've seen okay. him play on I've okay. seen him play on on TV, but no, like we I we 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 scout the players that end up there. That okay, end up in the Western Hockey League. So, so when you're watching, I, I guess 
when you're watching a game that you are not scouting, so I guess if you're watching the NHL, do you watch the puck or are you watching something different? It's like kind of an idea of how do you watch uh, the uh, how do you watch hockey games uh, in general now? Scouting has just really changed that for me, especially okay. especially if if there's a player that I'm interested in, like like if the Hur- if the Carolina Hurricanes come. Like I want to watch Sebastian Ajo play. I just want to watch his shifts. I want to watch what he does when he doesn't have the puck. And you know, the really, really elite players. I just watch them, and I don't watch the puck. Uh, like when the when the Sharks with the Sharks, like watching. If you watch Logan Couture play, like there's a lot of good takeaways from stuff like that. When you watch really elite players that play a 200 foot game that have good hockey, that have elite hockey sense, uh, it, it 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 informs. Uh, I think the way that people can watch hockey going forward, okay. which helps me, which helps me scouting. Uh, but also I've just become accustomed to it, to just focusing on focus on things away from the puck, focusing on body language, focusing on, on spacing and where players are. And, and um, the only time I just turn into like a regular hockey fan is usually when I watch the devils <laughs> and then I'm just ta- talking to the television and, and stuff like that. Is, is there a, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause I like uh, related to that, like, but is there, is there a very specific hockey thing that is your favorite thing to see somebody do? Like, I think like everyone talked about Marion Hosa's all around 200 game and the one specific skill that he seemed to be really, really good at. And Pavel Dotsik was in this category as well was the uh, stick lift when trailing a defender to steal the puck from them. Is there anything that is like, and feel free to get as specific as you want, but is there some specific nuanced part of the game that you see either as a scout or when you're watching the Devils on TV that brings you immense joy? A really nice no-look pass. Uh, just okay. having having the kind of confidence to to look somebody off and send the puck over. Uh, and I love I love defensemen that have good gaps. And I love defensemen that 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 keeps a good gap if there's a rush coming, and then and then stands up at the blue line, and and forces the forward to either throw the puck away or go wide. Uh, I I love that. Okay. So we can talk Devils a little bit too, if you want to. I I grew up. I was a big goalie guy. So I mean, Marty Brodeur, like that was in my wheelhouse. I loved him. Um, the Devils were such an fun team and they actually reminded me a little bit of kind of when the Blackhawks really started to come into their own with it's a younger group of kids and they kind of took a real big leap and then they went into the playoffs and they maybe won a series a lot of people thought that they might not win um what did you see what made them so much fun what kind of made them an elite team last year I don't know that they were an elite team last year but I as a fan like there's so many so many things to like and and then realizing that it's a little bit ahead of schedule even like i i was happy the last few seasons i've just i've wanted to watch this young core sort of coalesce and grow together and and to, when that stuff happens you have to you have to suffer through some pretty pretty rough times to it builds it builds a character and so i wanted to see kind of what they were made of and with the speed and skill they have now, the games are fun to watch, whether they win or lose. Like it's, it's a really good product on the ice, but I wanted to see what was going to happen as far as like what, what Fitzgerald is trying to do there with, with getting this core of talented young players together and then having them grow and like sprinkling in some veterans here and there. And, and I, so I didn't expect playoffs last year. I mean, once they went on that really done 13 game winning streak, I thought, well, they're going to probably get in the playoffs just based on that, just up with mm. points. But I didn't know that they were quite there yet. And then after after those first two games against the Rangers, I thought like this is this is a wake up call. This is a slap in the face, and this is something that will be painful in the moment, but that this group will will put in their back pocket and learn from. Uh, and then obviously the the series completely changed once the series went to to Madison Square Garden. Um, I think that that was really cool so for me I, it was like house money like they made the playoffs and they went around like so young and learned so much so i think it's it's going to only get better um but i you know I, i've i watch all their games and i and 
I'm a fan, whether they're good, bad, indifferent. Like I've watched, I've watched a lot of like pretty, pretty rough devils seasons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think well, I anybody who's been a fan of a team for a long time. Yeah. We've all been through that at some point or another for sure. Yeah. It's, it's right now is, is such an exciting time to be a devils fan, but it's so funny too. Cause devils Twitter and by devils Twitter, I just mean the community of people that tweet about the devils, not the team itself. Uh, it's so funny because any little sign of adversity that like the sky is falling and it's, I guess it's probably <laughs> like, it's probably like that with any fan base, but the yeah. devils devils Twitter seems to be particularly unhinged. It's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny and it's kind of sad, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time uh, for that team. And, and I remember thinking when the season was over, I was like, well, they got to get, you know, they have Timo Meyer is under team control for another year, but it sure it wouldn't be nice to lock him up. And then I thought Jesper Bratt is going to want more money than they're probably willing to give him. He's probably gone. And Fitzgerald found a way to get both those guys locked up, which is just insane. Um, general manager of the year, I think should be. Well, that's what we saw that a bunch just having to kind of juggle who you're able to keep and who you're not under the cap, you know, the, the, with the Blackhawks, but you know, they were able yeah, to, you have to pay, you, you, you get, you win those cups, but it's not sustainable the way the cap is. And so, yeah, watching the Blackhawks went through that. The Kings went through that. Uh, the Kings were able to retool a little bit quicker than the Blackhawks. Yeah. But every, every team that has a little bit of a run like that goes, goes through that especially especially these days and unless you've got a really savvy general manager it's it's hard because you have to make some really tough decisions and uh yeah uh, watching watching what happened to the blackhawks was was rough but but also i was like you know the if you ask a blackhawks fan they'll probably be like well i'll take a few years of a rebuild because we got three cups so yeah that it seems like it's the price of admission these days is if your team's going to be really really good in the nhl there's going to be hard time. Uh, there's going to be players who leave because of they uh, outlive the outlive the salary cap. Like I think Tampa's going through that a little bit right now too. Like they lost uh, Tampa. Cool. Tampa's going through that, and mm. uh, and the Bruins are going through that. Yeah, and the sure. Bruins on the Bruins are like the very end of that window with that group, and so uh, it's interesting. Going to be interesting to see what happens. What happens with them? Because I don't think anybody thought they were going to get bounced in the playoffs the way they did. So in your scouting, no, absolutely, absolutely yeah. not. I was going to say in your scouting, Russ, have you ever, have there been any players that you saw back when they were like 12, 13, 14, and you saw them back then, and then they ended up in the NHL and maybe even on the devils. Like who were some of your, I, and I miss maybe were the guys that you had identified like, Oh, this kid might be good. Do you have any, I guess, success stories or, or players you're particularly proud of? Like, I, I felt like I saw something there and it was confirmed later. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really think it's a matter of pride. It's like it doesn't get me anywhere. But okay. but like it's it's interesting to watch players that are fourteen. Uh, I can tell you, I saw Matt Nieto play for the okay. for the LA, LA Selects when he was a Bantam, and he was, and that was early in my scouting. And I I thought this 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 kid this kid could play pro, and. Who else? I mean, I saw Austin Matthews when he was 14, when he was right. playing for the Arizona Bobcats. He was he was probably one of the best players on the ice when I saw him, but I had no idea. He didn't have all the tools he has now. He didn't, he was kind of gangly that back then still. But he has to, but he had okay. great hands. He had great hands and good hockey sense. But he he wasn't like the just the massive beast of a player he is now. Uh I watched one time the Burnaby Burnaby Winter Club came down to do a tournament in LA and I saw Matt Barzell play for them. And I could tell right away that kid was going to play pro. He was right. the best player on the ice by like a mile. And uh and who else? Kyler Yamamoto. I watched play as a okay. band with the Junior Kings. So that's a kid. He's from Washington State, but he was playing for the Junior Kings, playing Bantam down there. And uh he just was one of the smartest, most savvy players. He was small. But he was so smart, such a smart player. And I thought to myself that that kid could play in our league, which he did for Spokane. And I also thought he'd probably end up playing pro and he was a first round pick. So those are just a few. 
That gives us a little bit of a segue. Um, there was actually the Blackhawks have a, a prospect who's at Rockford right now, who was on the Tri-City Americans the last year. Um, did you ever see Jalen Lipen play at all? Yeah, he, he came to us uh, late. Like he's He was traded to us from somebody else, and he was injured when we, we got him. And so last year was like his only real full season with us. Great kid, really good player. What kind? What is it? What kind of game does he play? Like, what style of game is he more like a defensive forward? I think I think he he he's probably a bottom six guy in the NHL, but he but he can bring everything. Like he can score, he can check. Uh, I think he's he's got all the tools. I don't th- I don't know that he's a I don't know that he's a top six guy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's most of the projections that we've uh, we've seen have him kind of in that vein as well. If and and like I said he's in the AHL right now, so I think we're fine. We're we're going to find out pretty soon if if he has a professional career or. I shouldn't. I mean, I know that he's. I know he's signed. Yeah, he's signed. Yeah, uh, I've I've had like uh, the the NHL career. I should say not professional because the NHL is AHL is a professional league too. In the in the Western Hockey League, which is which is in my opinion the best the best league in the world for for players that age. Mm-hmm. The the best the best player on, a, on a, any given any WHL team most of the time is is going to be like a bottom six guy in the NHL. Like the cream really rises to the top. Um, I mean, there's, there's players like Connor Bedard and player and, and stuff like that. There are exceptions mm-hmm. like Connor Bedard is going to get a long, long leash and every chance to succeed with the Blackhawks. Right. Just if nothing else to get people in the seats. Um, but there's for most of the time, like players that are the, the best player on any Western hockey league team are probably not going to immediately be the best player on an NHL team. So, so I've got one other curious thing uh, to, to ask you about because you've kind of got your your feet in these two different worlds, um, being in the in being the lead singer of a punk rock band and and being a hockey scout, and and maybe the 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 culture is different uh, down the, in the hockey circles you travel in, but it seems like there's a lot of things at the top of the hockey pyramid in the NHL that the culture within those rooms and those circles is very different than that of what you would find like in punk rock circles. Uh, has there, have you ever had, I don't know if there's been like difficulties or struggles or just things that have been turned you off to kind of navigating those two worlds. Cause they seem to be very, two very different worlds from this perspective, but you're much more into the hockey side of things and the punk rock things. than I think either one of us could claim to be. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a pretty weird culture clash for sure. Uh, I, I sort of just have learned to stay in my lane and and to just be a part of like when it comes to the hockey stuff and be just be part of a staff and do do my do what I'm supposed to do like my my job is to make sure that if my head scout or my GM calls me and asks me about a player from down here I got to know everything about him mm-hmm. and there better and there better be reports on him so so know, know the know your area and be in contact with parents and and that's it uh yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool uh, mixed bag. Like when we every summer we get together at the end of August for for training camp up in Washington, and and that's the time when we're all the, our whole staff is together. And uh, it's interesting to to meet and hang out with with these people that I probably would normally never ever meet or hang out with if I hadn't been involved in hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a good experience for me just to like be around different types of people uh, and. You know, just not not try to pretend like I know about Canadian politics. So I just stay <laughs> in my lane and and uh, and be hang out and be a part of the be a part of the group. Yeah, because I, I it does seem like sports is one of the few areas where you can have people from different backgrounds clash, or I shouldn't say clash, but two people from different backgrounds may be in the same room together. And sorry, Eric, I know you were about to say something. No, I was going to kind of ask a question in that regard. For anybody who's never seen Russ before, you know, he, he has lots of tattoos. He has tattoos on his neck. He has, you know, spiky blonde hair. Do you feel like standing out, probably looking different than the typical hockey scout, do you feel like that helps you or that hinders you or it just depends on the situation? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it matters. I know my first 
my first camp with Kootenai, when I was with the Kootenai Ice, I got a lot of weird looks from the other people on staff. Like, who's this Who's this kid from California? Like, look at him. And uh, and so basically, in, in this, you know, we'd, we'd have scrimmages, and then we'd all get together in a room and, t- and go over the scrimmages we just saw. And like, let's let's rate these players, particularly like the kids we just drafted and then the camp invites. And, and I feel like I was during those, during those sessions, I sort of earned my spot as far as like, okay, this person knows, knows enough about hockey to be included in this conversation. Uh, and then the tri city staff is, but it's even been even, even easier. And so uh, I think that, yeah, I think, I think that stuff doesn't really, doesn't really matter once you get down to it. Like we're, we're, the only reason we're all together is to win it is to win a Western hockey league championship and ultimately Memorial cup. And to that end, this, this other petty stuff just gets thrown to the side. Well, Russ, uh, I have to thank you again. You've been very gracious with your time, but uh, before we let you go, we do uh, on our, our weekly podcast we do during the season, we always talk about food related items at the end. And uh, I saw in the article from The Athletic that we mentioned that you've been a vegan, I think, for 30 years now. Um, but obviously with your music and hockey jobs, you are a very well-traveled person. I imagine you've been all over the place. So do you have a favorite food item or just a favorite thing that you've encountered anywhere in the world? Is there a specific dish that uh, you've encountered that you really, really like and will tell people about if you're going to the city, you got to try this thing? I, I don't. I, I don't really. I'm not really a food person. Like kinda, okay. I'll, I'll shout out the Chicago Diner. How's that? There we go. That'll work. One of the one of the greatest places we've ever been. Okay. Is it? Oh my I, yeah, my friend Justin. That's that's like his favorite. It's a famous. They do like it's like a diner, but everything's vegan. Yeah. And their milkshakes are like incredible. My wife loves that place too. Yeah, we haven't been there for a little bit, and there's a couple of them now. They opened a second one too. That's awesome. Um, is there anything you've seen and? being a vegan, being a vegan for as long as you have, obviously like culturally it's changed a lot and it's a lot more accessible now than it used to be. But have you seen, I mean, back when you were, you know, early days of good riddance, you guys were touring and stuff. What kind of vegan stuff would you come across? Or was it basically just like veggie whoppers and French fries and stuff? Well, back then they didn't even have those. Like it it was, yeah, back in the day it was, you know, before the internet and stuff like that and, and smartphones, it was, it was really just about knowing what, knowing in a pinch what you, what was vegan at like chain restaurants, which was sort of like this little secret um, Bible that vegans on tour kind of passed around. And then, and then also we, because we got a reputation for it, we would, we would show up to a city and there'd be, there'd be a kid at the show. Like when we loaded in going like, Hey, my mom cooked this, or I cooked this for you or follow me in my car and I'll show you where the, the co-op is or like the, the random little weird hippie health food store. Cause there was no whole foods or anything back then. Uh, so we would have people that would look after us. Uh, usually in a pinch, you, you could go to like an Asian or South Asian place, places that were not really they don't really have meat in their, in their thing. They just kind of did it to Westernize in America. Um, you could get, you could get by there, but it's much easier now for sure. Do you, um, Jonathan Tate's kind of famously, he went vegan a few years ago and he kind of overhauled his diet. I know that I would assume even at 14 and 15 years old now is you're interacting with some of these kids. Is that something you're seeing? Are you seeing more kids kind of eat cleaner or eat more, more vegan? No idea. No, no clue. Okay. No, no clue what they eat. Yeah, <laughs> I know that it's still. You guys talked about the cultural differences. Like it's still very much um, in the hockey world. There's the the protein myth is still pretty pretty relevant, as far as like people thinking that you got to have, you got to eat dead animal pieces to be to be anything. Um, but it's it's changing a little bit. I think I, I know that there was a tournament. There was a midget tournament in LA a few years ago and my GM and my head scout flew down for it. Cause we had like, I think we had like six or seven listed guys at that tournament. And I took him to veggie grill, which is a chain of like, kind of like Chicago diner type stuff, like just burgers, fries, 
uh, stuff like that. Um, and it's really good vegan chain in California. And I took them, I took them there. And one of them looked at the menu and like, well, which, which of this, which of the stuff is vegan? I'm like, everything is. And they were like, no way. They couldn't believe it. And they got burgers and they got like a fish sandwich and all this stuff. And they said it was really good. So just kind of trying to open people's eyes to, to what's out there, to what's, what's possible. Um, but, but again, like that's really not my, not my purpose with working in hockey. Like I'm there to, I'm there to to find players and to, to be part of a group. Well, Russ, uh, again, we, th- we thank you very much for hopping on the podcast here. Uh, it was a lot of, a lot of, uh, nuanced details about your music and, and hockey background that uh, we were really interested to hear about. And, you, and we thank you for sharing them all and, uh, best of luck with everything you professionally and uh, best of luck with your devils. Maybe we'll see uh, Jack Hughes versus Connor Bedard in the Stanley cup in three or four years. I, I, I hope, I hope the Blackhawks don't ruin him. I hope they don't do it. At, what, I hope they'll do it. Do what Edmonton did to Connor McDavid or I, yeah. I, yeah hope, I, was, I, hope, I hope he doesn't get Rick Nashed. Yeah. We, we, we hope, very much hope the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> same here. yeah. Thanks again. Eric. Thanks again, Russ. You're welcome. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.